comes a point in every person's life that that person must determine what they're here for. Some people, I think, are taught this by people who model it in their lives from a very early age, maybe have wonderful parents or loving guardians or just influences in their lives. Others only find this out later in life when difficulty or trials or temptations come and they're forced to wrestle with it. Some, I believe, unfortunately, never fully come to determine what they're here for. But I'm convinced that we all must at some point wrestle with it and try to figure it out. Jesus, I believe, is the greatest model of someone who knew why he was here. Have you ever stopped to consider how many times in Scripture Jesus explicitly indicates to those who are around him what his purpose was and why he came to earth? The evidence is overwhelming. If you look at his life at age 12 beginning, he says, why is it that you're looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house or about my father's business? The place where he was when he made that statement as a young boy was the temple in Jerusalem. In the book of John, he says multiple times what his purpose was when he was here. He says in John 6, 38, I came not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. To know your purpose is to also know what is not your purpose. And in John 7, 28, Jesus cries out, look where we are, in the temple and says, you both know me and know where I am from. I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. Later, in John 10, 10, Jesus will say that the thief, his purpose is to kill and steal and destroy. But I came that they may have life. And that they may have it abundantly. In chapter 12, he says, My soul has become troubled. Why was Jesus' soul troubled in this passage? What is Jesus thinking about as his soul is troubled? He's thinking about the plan that is enacted for him to go to the cross, die for us, and save us from our sins and thinking about that he says father save me from this hour but this purpose for this purpose I came to this hour in that same chapter he says I have come to be a light in the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness and at the end, in the trial, when he's looking at Pilate eye to eye, face to face, Pilate says, so you're a king? 
Jesus says, you say correctly that I am a king because that is why I have been born. To testify to the truth. In the book of Luke, we have this lengthy passage at the beginning of Jesus' ministry where he's in the synagogue and rather than using his own words to tell about his purpose, he decides to read from the passage that says, He anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And then later, a verse that's already been referred to multiple times this morning in our worship. In Luke 19.10, he says, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Now tell me, church, did Jesus have a purpose in his life? This is a short list. This is not the complete list of times in Jesus' life and ministry where he clearly spoke about his purpose. Many people, when Jesus was walking on the earth, misunderstood his purpose. Some people, even those closest to him, tried to stop him from fulfilling his purpose. And others tried to change his purpose altogether. And yet in spite of all of these obstacles, Jesus was firmly centered on what he came to earth to do. Now, in fact, none of us are Jesus this morning, individually. So I want us to wrestle with the question, is Jesus' example here something that only he that only applies to him, or is it something that is modeled for us? Something that we should have to have in our own lives. Does Jesus expect you, and does Jesus expect me, to know my purpose? Let's look at an example in the early church. In Acts chapter 6, if you'd like to turn there, and you can look in the early parts of Acts 6, many of you are familiar with this story. The apostles are confronted with a difficult problem early in their ministry. They're trying to serve all the people who are coming and being converted, and there are some widows who are being neglected in the service of the church. And so as they are wrestling with the problem, the apostles appoint seven men to oversee this ministry. And the reason for that is they say, we have to devote, this is verse 11, it's our purpose to devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Jesus had told his disciples it was their responsibility to serve as witnesses of his life, death, and resurrection. If they devoted their lives to feeding the widows, they would have been doing something good. That's not a criticism there. They, in fact, needed those seven men to devote their lives to that ministry. That was their purpose. But 
The apostles' purpose was to vote themselves to prayer and ministry of the word. If the apostles didn't fulfill their purpose and the seven appointed didn't fulfill their purpose, the work of the Lord's church could not be what God called it to be. So what do you think? Do you think you should have a clear understanding of your purpose and mission as a Christian in order to be an authentic follower of Jesus Christ? I think that you should. And it's to this end that I'd like for us to reflect for a few moments this morning as we also look at a passage that will tell us just how committed Jesus was to that purpose. There's been a lot of emphasis in the last 20 years or so on being purpose-driven. Have you all seen books like The Purpose-Driven Life, The Purpose-Driven Church, Purpose-Driven so-and-so and so-and-so? Those books have leapt off shelves. Andy Stanley says that we cannot finish well if we do not know what the goals are in our life. He says a clear vision along with the courage to follow through dramatically increases your chances of coming to the end of your life, looking back and being able to say, I did it. I succeeded. I finished well. My life counted. Without a clear vision, odds are you'll come to the end of your life and you'll wonder, what could I have done or what should I have done? Look at the life of Jesus himself at the end. What was Jesus' statement at the end? It is finished. He wasn't just saying, I'm marking the end of my time. What he's saying is, I have fulfilled my purpose. I have come and done what I came to do. Church, you cannot finish something if you didn't have a goal of it to start with. We're reminded by the name of Jesus himself that he had a higher calling. Jesus' name means Yahweh saves, God saves. And the angel says that he's given his name because he will save his people from their sins. Have you thought about and reflected on what your purpose is in this life? Have you thought about and reflected on how you will fulfill that mission? And I only think, I think we can only think about that in respect to what God's goals and desires are for us. Because most of us in this room have committed ourselves to the Christian faith. We made a decision, as Tyrus was sharing with us, and just, just thinking about and remembering that decision, the commitments that we made, we made a decision that we were going to purpose our lives in concordance with, in conjunction with, together with Jesus Christ. So what are God's goals? What does God want for me? And what does God want for you?
I believe that we often see people's purpose most clearly at work in the most difficult situations. That we can often look at, and I know you have these people in your life, I think of a lot of people in my family, that you, you look at and you see when things were hard, you could tell what was important and what meant something to those people. And the difficulties or the successes it may be in their lives showed for us what their mission was. In Mark chapter 11, which we studied last week, the triumphant entry, I, I, I love that, that thought that Jesus riding on a colt, on a donkey, is this triumphant entry. It's just a beautiful picture of the kind of king we serve. In Mark chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, this is not an accident, the way Jesus rides in from the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem. Ben pointed that out for us last week. These are direct references to Zechariah 9 and verse 9 and Zechariah 14 and verse 4 in which the prophet says there's going to be a king and that king is going to come riding on a donkey. He's going to stand on the Mount of Olives and he's going to divide the world by his position. And so as Jesus rides on that donkey, and the people who know him and knew his ministry drop the palm leaves before him and they cry out, Hosanna in the highest. We might think this is the pinnacle of Jesus' ministry because he's being seen for who he really was, a king. But I want you to know that this was the beginning of the end. This triumphal entry into Jerusalem did not have, in the physical sense, a happy ending. And the very first thing that Jesus does when he gets into Jerusalem indicates to us the fulfillment of his purpose and the depth of his love for you and me. I don't know how often you've studied this passage, the, the turning over of the tables in the temple. It's a very interesting passage, and I've wrestled with it all week as I've been trying to think how I could get across the significance of it. Because I, every time I've ever heard the turning over of the, the tables in the temple, it's always been about what point Jesus was trying to make in turning over the tables in the temple, which I think is a fair thing to look at. So read with me the story, and you might ask yourself as you hear the story, why does Jesus turn over the tables in the temple? Verse 15 of Mark 11 beginning, They came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple 
and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. And he began to teach and say to them, it is, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a robber's den. Look closely at verse 18. The chief priests and the scribes heard this and began seeking how to destroy him. For they were afraid of him, for the whole crowd was astonished at his teaching. So why did Jesus turn over the tables in the temple? There have been all sorts of reasons proposed as to why Jesus might do this, what point he might have been making. Some have said that maybe the money changers were exploiting the people. The, those who exchanged money, it's a really interesting uh, system. Because the coins could be faked, the only way they could tell whether or not a coin was authentic was they had to weigh it, to weigh the amount of silver or whatever was in it. So the money changers were there to weigh, to literally weigh the money to ensure that it would match what was supposed to be given for the temple tax. So there are some who believe that those money changers were corrupt. And therefore, that was the reason why Jesus was turning over the tables. I think it's interesting that he not only kicks the sellers out, he kicks the buyers out too. So when I look at this passage, what I see is not Jesus attacking a specific group. Jesus kicks everybody who's doing any sort of economic trade out of the entire temple. And his verse in verse 17 I think is very telling because he says, this is supposed to be a place of prayer. This is a house of prayer. And I can't help but think that Jesus is thinking back to when he's 12 years old and he's just a kid and he's sitting around the temple. He's in the temple and he's exchanging that exchange with the rabbis, asking them questions and they're teaching him. And he's heard and read the scriptures in the Old Testament that is the Lord is in his holy temple, that this is a place of worship and prayer and teaching and learning and now people have exploited it for their own purposes. And guess what happens when you mess with my father's house? You mess with my house. So it's fair to make a point here about the point Jesus is making as he turns over the tables. But what I'm afraid of is that when we only focus on a point, we are missing the point of the story in the narrative of Jesus. The point of the turning over of the tables in Mark 11 and in all the synoptic gospels is yes to tell us Jesus' dissatisfaction with the temple, 
But if Jesus is going to die on a cross, he has to be charged with a crime. A crime that is big enough for Rome to put him on that cross. And you know what kind of crime will put you on a cross? Being a rebel. A rebel who considers himself a king. You see, when Jesus goes into that temple that day, you know what he's doing? He has decided, I'm going to fulfill my purpose today. Today, I am going to start the process of the cross. I'm going to go and turn over these tables, and I'm making a choice, Max, to die for you. Jim, to die for you, to die for you, to die for you. Today is the day where I draw the line in the sand, and I'm going to the cross. That place, the temple, was the Lord's holy temple, and he says it's become a den of robbers. You know what that means? That means it was the right place, but the people that were in it were not the right people. The people who were taking home up in the temple were corrupt and had corrupted the purpose of the temple's existence. They had denned up like a bunch of robbers in God's holy place. And Jesus says, no more. You can be in the right place and you can still be on the wrong team. And Jesus chose that day which hill he was going to die on. Sometimes... Our purpose conflicts with authority. Sometimes our purpose conflicts with popularity. Sometimes our purpose might conflict with relationships. Sometimes our purpose may even conflict with the culture that surrounds us. And I believe that Jesus in Mark chapter 11 as he turns over those tables... is making a decision as to what he's going to do for you and me on that cross. So I want to ask you this morning, do you know what hill you're going to die on? I'm convinced that you will not know what to live for until you know what you will die for. So I ask you, what is your purpose? This morning, we have the opportunity to align our purpose with God, to give our life to Christ, and to make a decision as to whose we will be. And I ask and I beg and I plead with you, that whether you make the decision right now or you make it this afternoon or you make it soon, that you decide what your purpose will be. If you want to give your life to Christ, you give it to him in full faith, believing that he really is who he said he was and confessing to that effect and being baptized in the watery grave of baptism 
coming up to repent and be a new creature. If your purpose has been there before, but it's drifted, it's just as important to make your decision clear. If we can help you with any of those things, please come while we stand and while we sing.